Hello everybody and welcome to episode 122 of Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera. On the show this week, Dave's been digging holes and Mark's been having a hoot. Is this the end of the PlayStation 2? Netflix casts a CGI mustache in a new prestige drama. The IOC takes a stand on esports. And our book club this week is All That and a Bottle of Rum. It's Assassin's Creed Black Flag. Let's start the show. This is Link to the Cast, episode 122, from your friends over at linktothecast.eu, available on all your favorite podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, or Stitcher. I'm your party host, Dave Ryan, and I'm joined on the line, as I am every week, by the platforming prodigy that is Mark Robinson. Mark, how are you? I am feeling okay, which is always good. (laughs) There's a big build-up there for mediocrity. Which... You've, you've really you've set me up for a fall on that one. <laughs> ah, that is the story of Mark Robinson. <laughs> yeah, I'm fine, you know, it's all good, I guess. Um, we're in September, that's actually good. That means it's not the summer anymore. And I'm happy about that, because I have not enjoyed this summer in terms of the weather. And I, I, I really fucking need the temperature to drop now. We're also currently experiencing that like traditional bit of back to school weather where summer rears its head again to remind the children what they're missing. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's been glorious the last few days. Um, I I was coming home. I'd forgotten like because September ro- rolled up real quick. Like I was on the bus uh, back home. I was like, what the fuck are all these kids doing out on the street? There must be hundreds of them, and they're all dressed the same. Oh, okay, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. It's back in session. So, I mean, the good thing about where I live is, um, apart from the fact that I live 30 seconds from work, is that there's no school run around here, so I don't have to deal with any of that. 30 seconds from work is Jared Leto's midlife crisis band, right? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I... There's a lot of, in the town I live in and that you used to live in, um, there's just no point in trying to get into the town from one end between about ha- uh, between about 2 o'clock and 4 o'clock. Oh, it's just Because horrendous. whoever planned this town put four schools, two primary and two secondary, in a bottleneck at the top of the town, um, which is just... Uh, 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 it's the worst. Yes, it was that but, um, noise. Exactly, Newbridge is that noise. Yeah, I'm very thankful that my new job requires me to go in the other direction. <laughs> I'll either be walking there or heading in the other direction on a bus for five minutes. Good. Uh, so, you know, small mercies, I guess. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, my my week's been all right. I, d- I don't think I've done all that much, to be honest, preparing for the, the arrival of the dog on Saturday. Saturday? Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah Saturday evening, we're heading down. Yeah. Uh, to get him so i think we've got everything now like we'll immediately have to take him to get him fitted for a um a harness because we don't like the thing about so it's a golden retriever puppy we're getting as you know mark uh and, and they're incredibly good boys but the thing about them is like did you know that it takes up to 18 months for a golden retriever to go to full size i did, was not aware of this unfortunately i have not been graced by the presence of a golden retriever for 18 months yeah, so something in the back of my head thought it was like nine months to a year, but I think that's cats. Um, 
So we have no idea really how big he's going to be when we get him. Like we know he was tiny when we got him. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like what size is he going to be when we get him? So there's certain things we can't buy him. But other than that, we think we've done okay. We've got him a little crate. We're going to crate train him. We've got all his food in. We've got his bowls, which is a very emotional purchase. Um. But you haven't then, like yeah, bought him a suit or anything. No, no. The only things we'll have to some uh, one of um, my partner Emma's friends bought him a bow tie, but that's about <laughs> it. Um, so we'll get him, and then immediately we have to fit him for that stuff, and then take him to the vet. So he's going to have a real nice first few days, because um, he has to get his second round of injections, and I think then we get him microchipped as well. Um, so yeah, it's all go getting ready for him and getting stuff out of the way because puppies like to chew things. So anything I hold any value in, it has to be removed uh-huh. from... I mean, how can you value anything? You've had a cat for the last two and a half years. And, and that particular cat as well. Um, yeah, so all that is ready. And then as well, like I've got the all clear because I am taking up this job that starts on Thursday that I will in fact be able to head over on my little jollier over to visit friend of the show, Jack Lazell. Uh, and that's next weekend, which is fucking man all this stuff is creeping up real quick uh yeah i don't actually have like anything for the rest of the year thinking about it um other than october for ott uh, i've got like no plans whatsoever i booked my this is how far in advance i'm operating at the moment i booked my flights for germany in march for tagli not tagli sorry 16 carat yeah because I saw on Twitter that at the moment the flights we normally get are 60 quid return to Dusseldorf. Strong. Uh, whereas, like, normally if you wait until near enough the event, it's like 120 or something like that. Right. So I was like, yeah, I could get on that shit straight away. Yeah. Um, but yeah, other than that, pretty much bog standard week. Um, shall we just get on to video games, I think? Come on. Alright, playing this week. Hey, check it out. I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy 2. Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Well, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. Mark, what has been uh, on your screen this week? Uh, so I bought Owlboy. Um, actually, I bought Owlboy a couple of weeks ago because uh, it was on offer. Um, because literally any like <clears throat> game, indie game that I want to play, pretty much one week after another, it, they're all starting to appear on appear on the Switch and appear as like a special deal. Um, so I figured this was a good time to grab Owlboy um, because I did buy it on Steam but because I barely ever play um, games at the office and I can't really play games on my Mac it's just sat on my Steam library not like that's anything new for anyone that has a fucking Steam account Um, so this was my time to actually sit down with it because I'd heard a lot about it Uh, obviously it's a Mark Robinson TM game it's a sort of metroidvania uh pixel art style type game um and you know i've been pe- playing a fair few metroidvanias recently we've been discussing metroidvanias on um on this show for the book club with stuff like guacamelee uh i've been watching uh mark brown had a new episode up about super metroid in particular for his boss key series uh which i'd recommend checking out so i'm very much in that zone at the moment oh and obviously there was hollow knight that i recently finished as well um so i'm about two hours into owlboy so far uh the immediate things is obviously that it's as is the case with a lot of these kind of high-end 
indie retro present uh, style games. Like the presentation is very sleek looking, and it's it's a, a pixel art game, but obviously done in a modern uh, with modern development. You know, there's no way this game could be done in 1993 the the palette colors is just too rich um there's just too much going on in the background technically that th this would be the case um as is the case with stuff like um shovel knight as well where you know clearly indebted to the nes era but you know using tricks um from a modern perspective and modern tricks to uh to really just kind of flesh out the the look of the presentation um so it's a very very pretty looking game uh, you play as uh, a character called Otis, who is capable of flying and uh, carrying objects. Now, he's not an owl, I don't think. Um, I'm not really sure kind of what he is. I guess he's just an owl boy, it kind of says it in the name. Um, but it hasn't really kind of clearly defined what race he is or, you know, just he's kind of race of people because there's only him and one other character um, that kind of look like these our type people uh, and everyone else looks fairly regular so far um, but I'm only a couple of hours in so we'll kind of see how that establishes further um, he's a very um, he's a kind of low performing type character he doesn't excel at anything um, and he's like master is trying to you know find something that he can do that he can excel at and he's just nothing has um nothing's panned out so far um and like within the first five minutes you get a real kind of sense of uh, he tries hard but clearly um he just hasn't found the the skill or the talent or the thing that you know is what he should be that he'll excel at and his master has clearly become very tired about that he's very uh, he's just he's snapped almost um and one day um, he's given a task of staying at and watch for Sky Pirates. Um, and then obviously, as you can imagine, Sky Pirates appear and uh, the story kind of goes from there. So the, the setup to the story, uh, it doesn't take too long. It kind of gives you a clear motivation and characterization um, and then it allows you on your way. Uh, what's interesting about this game is that your character has f uh, the ability to fly. Um, and that's from the get-go. So... The world that you explore, unlike um, a lot of Metroidvanias where one of the, the key uh, obstacles that will be put in your way is uh, an inability to access a certain area because either you don't have a double jump or you don't have a particular or a, a hook shot or something that allow you to elevate to higher uh, platforms. And that isn't the case, obviously, with this game because you can just fly around anywhere. So um, for a start, this game has a lot of uh, verticality. Um, you are kind of free to roam for it wherever you can see um, and so far the, the game has had a couple of interesting ways of presenting obstacles that prevent you from flying um, so there's uh, like a couple of screens where there's like a waterfall that um, stops you from flying and you have to you know jump via traditional kind of platforming methods uh, there's a bit where these like gnome type creatures that hear you if you fly so you can't fly you have to jump you have to use kind of stealth um and then there's been a couple of puzzle mechanics so far that incorporate flying as well and um grabbing like these clouds that when you stand on them they release uh, rain and you can use that to fill up these uh like big uh, cylindrical uh areas that then raise up um like a, a key obstacle that you can grab so it's you know it's been um nothing that's 
no, no puzzles that have uh, stopped me. The flow of the game has been pretty seamless. Uh, I really like the characterization of the two characters I've been playing as um, because they don't uh, they're not presented as traditional heroes. They're very uh, awkward people uh, and I like that because it's a bit of a different approach kind of like how uh, Celeste was earlier this year where um, you know you the protagonist is this person who just has their issues um, they're trying to overcome them um, so I, I like I, I like that the game takes that approach and uh, yeah I, you know again I've only put a couple of hours in but it's um, it's it's ticking a lot of the uh, Metroidvania boxes but it's because of this fact that you know I can fly anywhere I want. Um, it it feels a little bit different to uh, other Metroidvanias I've played so far. So yeah, I'm um, I'm enjoying it so far. Oh, that's good to hear. It's one that I I got in a sale at some stage myself as well. But just kind of it it's one of those, you you know. And it's particularly since we got the Switch, but also I used to do it a lot on the Vita, where it's like you see a game on sale and you think to yourself, that'll be perfect the next time I'm on an airplane. Yeah. And like that's that's what Elboy was downloaded for pretty much explicitly. And I just haven't had a chance to to get into it yet. Yeah, I mean, I I started it because um, I've, I think I've nearly finished Donkey Kong Tropi- Tropical Freeze. Uh, I think I'm on the last boss. Yeah, I... every time I see you online on Switch, you're you're plowing away at donkey Kong country yeah uh it's it's bit, the, the final boss has given me a bit of trouble you know what i was saying to you last week about how it's it's nice that we've got some bosses in a nintendo game that aren't just three hits and they're down mm-hmm. uh this is very much not the case here um so yeah that last world it reminds me a lot of the last world in crash bandicoot where there's a real kind of spike in difficulty um and uses kind of similar environments in some places uh, but the, definitely the last boss uh, has been giving me a bit of trouble, so I thought I'd move on to something else for a while and then come back to it. But yeah, Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze as well, uh, goes without saying, is a fucking great game. Uh, so I have one game and one documentary I want to talk about. Um, and just the, the game is a quick follow-up to last week, and that I not only finished, but platinumed Donut County, the Ben Esposito game we talked about mm-hmm, last week, mm-hmm. uh, where you play as the whole and kind of like um, each level is designed around you trying to expand the hole by uh, sucking in items and eventually getting to the point where you will suck in the the, the character uh, from the town who is your objective for the game. Um, Mark, this is a, it's a really good game. I, I'm a big fan. It, it's short. It's only a couple of hours long, but... Um, genuinely i think one of the 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 funniest and most refreshing little kind of relaxing experiences i've had this year i get the feeling from everything i've seen i would really really enjoy this game yeah like it's got this kind of deadpan um wit about it there's uh for every item you you suck into the hole throughout the game it all collects uh into this thing called your trashopedia which is an encyclopedia of all the items available in the game. And it's actually maybe the best part of the game is uh, just scrolling through Trashopedia after every level uh, just to see what kind of wry description the raccoons have given to different items. Um, Also, a thing that I think you can get on board with as uh, a personal philosophy of yours um, is that between every level, the loading screen flashes up a really nice... um, 
fancily put together logo saying have a garbage day <laughs> which I, I, I never failed to get a rise at me but yeah um, as the game went deep the levels got a bit trickier I, I like I wouldn't go to the point like I was stuck on any of them but it, it definitely there was a little bit of a slope in terms of difficulty of puzzle um, the story gets a bit deeper the the kind of the banter between the raccoon uh, who's responsible for all this and the townspeople who are now stuck deep beneath the earth in a hole with them uh, never fails to deliver. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's just a really fun, short little game that I don't think uh, anyone would regret checking. Yeah, I, I think I need to get my hands on that. Um, I've heard nothing but good things. Uh, the trailer alone, it, it had a brand of comedy that I think I could get on board with. And uh, I think just the, the, the short span of what that game is, um, yeah, I I will probably have downloaded that and played that by this time next week to give my thoughts. And then the other thing, I uh, game-related thing that I've uh, consumed this week was the latest Noclip documentary. So uh, because Daniel Dwyer of Noclip fame uh, has recently had a child, he has started to schedule guest documentarians to do uh, a couple of documentaries here and there on the NoClip platform. Uh, the first one was uh, Alana Pierce, probably of IGN. Uh, her documentary was on the Dad Dating Simulation Stream Daddy. Now, Stream Daddy a game that you're familiar with, Mark? Sorry, what was that? Is uh, the, what, what did you hear last? Uh, I You asked me what game. The game you was... Ask yeah, uh, is is Dream Daddy a game that has come across your? Um... I'm aware of Dream Daddy. So yeah, this this documentary is all about how Dream Daddy was made, like the the kind of inspiration that went behind it, and it's a really nice look at the kind of um, the development uh, process behind a small game from a first time publisher that's lovingly crafted, and the kind of the 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 hopeful messages they were putting in it and the reasons behind the handsome dad simulator idea. And it's really interesting. A, a thing I don't think I knew or I knew and then I forgot is that Dream Daddy was published by Game Grumps. Yes, that's, yeah, that, that sure. Now, now you've said that, that immediately rings a bell um, that they so, published it. So there's a lot of uh, interviews at the start of it about, uh, like, with, with uh, Aaron, uh, aka ego raptor who's just like yeah fuck it we thought let's just start publishing games i mean uh, they're in a position where fuck it you know they have a a, a a fan base and a wide enough uh reach that yeah, yeah. like them publishing games is actually uh, that's yeah that's a thing they should probably they can do and have done and yeah. you know it worked out yeah, so they did, um, the, the first act of the documentary, shall we say, is all about kind of who Graham Grums are, like how they decided to get into publishing, all that sort of good jazz. And then they talk about like, you know, the artists they brought on board and then just the idea of like the, the crunch behind uh, getting it out because at a certain point they were like, we have so much to do and there's three weeks left until this game drops. So it's a nice little look at that, which is something we've talked about on the show before after that. Um, was it the Jason Schreier book on crunch? Yeah. You read, yeah. So, yeah, I, I recommend it. Like, I always recommend very highly all the Noclip documentaries, but this was just a different one because, uh, not to the dessert, like, I'm not kind of dissing uh, the projects Danny has picked, but, like, a lot of them tend to be much bigger um, 
projects on, on a lot of levels. Like he's done Horizon Zero Dawn and he's done Doom 2016 and he's done um, The Witcher. And uh, like, you know, it, this is a much smaller, much more niche kind of documentary. And this is the kind of stuff that like definitely documentaries like this would not exist without a platform like Noclip. So it's definitely worth kind of supporting, having a look at a uh, thorough recommendation from me, I think cool uh yeah i need to get back on um I'm, i know there's a fair few no clip documentaries uh that i haven't watched so <clears throat> that's a solid yeah. reminder for me the one he did about online communities through video games uh with the oh, i can't think of their name uh the the crowd who like are a gta online gang but like they're from all around the world and they're all good mates and they all meet up for like a big pool party every year. Right. That's I think it's Redneck Agenda is their name or something like that. Or or Hillbilly Agenda Could or something like that. So it's something to that effect anyway. But uh, all about them is one where like when I heard the topic I was like, "Hmm, I don't know about this." And it turned out to be just fascinating. Um yeah, all of his ones uh come with a, a healthy recommendation from us here, I think. But uh that said, uh, let's move on to much more current stuff, Mark, and talk about the news. News on the mark! So, we are in, we are firmly now in, in Q3, the, the period of the year where new games are just coming out left, right, and center, Mark, and one of the usual kind of Madden everybody considers to be the first one, the kind of like the, um, the, the the canary down the coal mine the first one down just to see uh to check everyone's temperature see how ready they are for the uh the busy season ahead but one of the early ones um that comes out every year is pro evolution soccer it usually gets about a month jump on its competitor fifa uh and i i was keeping tabs on this game you'll note mark for the first time in the history of this podcast i didn't do a demo versus demo comparison or anything like that this year that is a fair point you didn't do that why is that dave ryan the reason for that is that pro evolution soccer this year this is what like you know i've i've always tried to just drop a demo this year well no they did and i played it and i um here's the thing so like year on year for the past several years they've made like titanic improvements to that game and as a guy who kind of my the first football game i played a lot was a fifa game but the first football games i fell in love with were pro evo games that i obsessively played day in day out um all through my my adolescence uh all pro evo so i always have a soft spot for it and i always want to fight in its corner and, and look and see what it's doing this year mark i got the the demo and i played it for about five minutes and just went no nah. really <laughs> yeah it's like it's something that it's a stick that people beat fifa with every year where it's like where people say i don't see what's improved because fifa especially since they moved to the frostbite engine two years ago there's very little they need to do right now only make tweaks that will only be noticed when you play it in long sessions or if you play it so much that you would notice very subtle changes um but this year pro evo just feels like (sighs) stuck in the mud is a way i I would describe it like it's not bad but it's not even like 
to me personally for what i want from this game it's not even an incremental amount of progress on last year's pro evo uh i was i i just it didn't feel right when i played it um like it's still got the the way the ball kind of zings around in a more arcadey way is still there for people who prefer the way the ball physics are in pro evo to fifa which is a big thing in that kind of you know which one are you discussion um so the ball feel, I suppose, is a term I've heard used before, uh, is still there for Pro Evo. But just overall, I just wasn't feeling it. And it's a when you play these games so much, I often hear the likes of Jeff Gersman talk about this with first-person shooters because he pl- obviously plays a lot of first-person shooters. He's a big Call of Duty guy. Like He will always peep out a first-person shooter and see what it's like. And there are just some times where you can't quite pinpoint why something is off, but you know that it is. Uh, and that was my experience with with the Pro Evo 2019 demo. So I kind of left it at that, and I was like, I'm not interested in buying this game this year. I'm not interested in kind of doing demo versus demo this year. Um, but they still have and, the new camp the- license. Is that not enough? They, yeah, they still have the new camp license insofar as I'm aware, uh, unless it was just a one-year deal, because I think last year was the first year where they had that. Um, but it's funny we should mention that it kind of feels a bit stuck in the mud. A lot of the reviews were like kind of in the mid to high sevens out of ten, where it's like, yeah, like it's 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 good. It's certainly not a bad game, but it's just, you know. <laughs> um and that has been reflected by our first news story this week, Mark, and that is that uh, Pro Evo 2019's physical sales are down a staggering 42% that is on rough. last year. And that is in the UK, which would be one of the biggest markets for a football game. Yeah. Um, it only tallies box copy sold again. We're, we're talking just physical here. Um, but... I think we've talked about this before. There was another game that sold really bad year on year. And even if you take into account that like year on year, people are moving more towards a kind of the all digital future is the term we hear um, that people are buying less and less physical, more and more digital. But even with that, like I don't have exact numbers here, but the drift isn't 42% year on year. No. And you we discussed this before like the games that still would be doing well from a physical retail sense are the games that you you know would expect uh parents to be going into the shops to to buy the game for their 13 14 year old um and and games like fifa and pez are going to fall into that category um so I can't put this down to anything more than just, I don't know, FIFA is the juggernaut at this point when it comes FIFA, to football. FIFA is the juggernaut. I think the huge difference this year for people who like aren't following this shit intensely is that Pro Evo lost the Champions League and Europa League license. Yeah. And, but, and like, look at this. I mean, looking at the top 10 for the week, I mean, PES 2019 is uh, second, but FIFA 18 is still 10th. Like that's and it, insane. And, it will be until, and, and think about that. FIFA 19 is out in two weeks. Yeah, exactly. Like it, it's out. I think. Well, sorry, it's out in three weeks. Um, just looking at my calendar here. Um, yeah, it's it's staggering. And like you know, we say sometimes that like, and uh, particularly the the pro Evo advocates will say that licenses don't really matter that much. That it's the game feel that matters. 
But I'm looking at this and saying that the only huge difference in terms of like how the games are being marketed relative to each other this year, the main difference is, hey, look, FIFA has the Champions League this year. Hey, look, Pro Evo doesn't. Yeah. Um, so I'm not saying it accounts for the whole 42% here, but I'm saying it's definitely made a dent. Mm-hmm. Um, because that is, like I say, for the casuals, for the people who are <clears throat> just popping into the shop and not following this stuff on the unhealthy level you and I do, um, that's the thing you notice. That, that badge saying that it's a UEFA licensed product that the Champions League and the Europa League appear in it. The fact that that's missing this year is something young kids are going to notice. And with that, and it's something that people, like the FIFA community is so fucking excited for those competitions to arrive for the first time in that game as yeah, well. Yeah, um, and now like the the thing now is like you know you look at Konami going forward and what what is there? I mean, there's the the Zone of Enders game, um, but. Can't see. I don't see what else they have other than you know fuck ton of pachinko machines. But yeah, pachinko. Uh, yeah, and, and and Castlevania on Netflix. Yeah, I suppose they do have that as well. Which, in fairness, is better than anything else that has ever existed. So I guess yeah. I guess they're all right there. Uh, moving on, Mark. It was a dark week in video games this week because officially the PlayStation Two is dead. Which honestly, like. <laughs> That's fucking absurd because I would never yeah. have have like thought to myself that the PlayStation Two was still a thing, but yeah. I guess you know it was still being sold in in Japan. Um, yeah. And so, pff, yeah, fucking hell. So they stopped making them new several years ago, but PlayStation uh, Sony, shall we say, Sony were still offering aftercare support for people with PlayStation Two consoles until this week. Um, there was kind of like if you got your console and something bad happened to it, uh, there was a facility within Sony called the PlayStation Clinic where they would help you. I don't know whether it was, um, yeah, it was when you'd send in your device to get repaired. Um, there, yeah, they show on the seventh of September. Uh, any repairs that could be carried out online through the PlayStation Network were. Um, it was was it still called the PlayStation Network back then when it had the funny kind of figure eight infinity symbol as its logo? Uh, oh god, that's a question. Yeah. But, so <laughs> online repairs uh, finished on the thirty first of August, and uh, the the clinic shut to any new consoles reaching them after the seventh of September. See now, like while this is sad, there are still a fucking lot of PlayStation twos out there. So and you can get one relatively cheap. Uh, but as well, I suppose the thing is, uh, because of the, the kind of march of technology, it's become much easier to get your PlayStation 2 repaired somewhere. Um, this is also true. Yeah, the people have figured it out. Uh, worth noting that the PlayStation 2 is the world's most successful console, having sold more than 150 million units worldwide, which is <laughs> it's uh, still a staggering figure. Well... Yeah, I I have fond memories of of my PlayStation Two. Um, it had SSX three, so you know that's all I needed. Um, and yeah, some of the, a lot of that period of of my kind of teenage years between, and we've 
discussed on the show before with the likes of that um, Tekken Tag Tournament is actually a game that sticks out a lot for me in Tekken 5. Um, I actually played Tekken Tag Tournament recently in uh, Token. Yeah, uh, it's it's all about that Tekken Bowl mode. It's all about that Tekken Bowl mode. <laughs> uh, but hey, you know, it's um, it's had a good run, you know? And it's, yeah. it's amazing because what was it? There was a... I think there was a story recently about a game was being published either for the Dreamcast or I think it was one of the Sega consoles. Like every now and again, like if you look at uh, the Master System and the Mega Drive um, and uh, pretty much all the fucking Sega consoles of the 90s, like you'll see that there will be games that were released in like 2011 and then 2017 or whatever um, because consoles never die. Mm. We may think they do, but they never die. This is true. This is a cool bit of news. Um, a game that I was very much interested in when it was on PC, but never bought because I, I tend to try and wait for stuff to come out in consoles. Uh, a game called Observer, which is a, a kind of sci- a horror sci-fi game that the kind of the, the main um, mechanic involves you hacking into people's memories. Uh, it's finally coming out on P. Uh, sorry, it was released on pc ps4 xbox one last august is coming out on switch uh they have no definitive date but they say soon um for movie fans the the cool thing about this particular dystopian future horror game set in was a 2084 uh stars rutger hauer um he of uh blade runner fame so if, if you were thinking that it wasn't a blatant enough ripoff of any other future dystopia, Rutger Hauer's in it. What so did he do it's... off the Blade Runner? Uh, lots of stuff, but he's kind of like his his star never really rose any more than that. But one, because it was a fucking amazing performance. Uh, and two, because he's a notorious arsehole. Oh. <laughs> right. Like people say, it's it's very difficult to work with him. Like he had really done fuck all, uh, is my understanding before Blade Runner, and he walked onto the Blade Runner set like you know that whole tears in the in the rain sure. speech. Yeah, that's all improv. Oh, it's completely just, improv. Yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. He just didn't want to read the script. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so because he, he's Rucker Howard. He's basically he's the low key of the science fiction genre. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's coming out coming out soon. I look forward to uh, getting that. Switch is the the perfect place for me to play that. So happy happy out there. All right, Dave, tell me more about Labo because you know what that was actually the one thing I didn't do when I came came around yours uh, last. Yeah, week. and I still have to. I've been waiting for somebody's like sit down and build one of the more complicated ones with me. So you'll have to stop. Isn't down it more again. like you need to sit down with someone and say, just what? Look at this. Look at this. Yeah. And make sure I periodically, like, take breaks and go outside and stuff, because <laughs> some of these have, like, a six-hour build time on them. Um, so, yeah, Labo 3, or Labo Kit 3, more accurately, is coming out quite soon. What's the date on it? Um, it's September 14th. Now, I haven't got this one pre-ordered, because I'm kind of like, I'm just going to try and build one and two first. But this one does look cool. This looks right up the street of exactly what they want to do at Labo. This is called a vehicle kit. Uh, And basically, it comes with a a pack-in game, as the others did. And you build your kind of steering columns and gear sticks uh, and little mini vehicles. 
and use them to help you uh, navigate race courses and obstacle courses uh, in the game. The video is, is pretty uh, like anything with uh, Nintendo Labo the video has to be seen to be believed uh, they put up a 7 minute video of just how the things are constructed and like even the, the simplest thing in here is the steering wheel and even the steering wheel it's construction and, and how they've figured out how to do this is fucking crazy um, and like the way they've rigged there's like some elastic banding involved because not only is it a steering column but it's got an accelerator pedal a fully functioning accelerator pedal that works again with the infrared. It's just, um, it's fucking ridiculous. It's fucking, it's cardboard. And, but you're steering the game. And I just, oh, Nintendo, I, how do you, why do you? Yeah. And then you look, it uses the, like, it uses its gyroscope in the, the Joy-Cons to allow you to build a flight stick and uses the, the fucking infrared to allow you to there's a button on the flight stick to allow you to shoot um it's fucking uh mate, mate like it's i fucking love this shit like it's I, just i will only accept this when they allow you to make a a, a light a um a light gun um kind of similar to like the super scope and you can play doom with it at that <laughs> point then then this is a success for me it's a shame that, like, in some respects, that Nintendo systems are, like, notoriously, like, closed off. They're not easily modded or anything like that. Because if you get into this, and you, you probably could mod Labo compatibility into the, the, the Switch port of Doom if you were able to get in. But, uh, man, I don't know. Like, I just, I'm looking at this stuff, and it, like... <laughs> it uses if you go towards the end of the video you're able to use the the infrared on your uh joy con to scan something to create uh, the shape of a racetrack so you can scan your hand and the earth moves and changes to the shape of your hand and that can be like a racetrack or an obstacle course you can also build a spray paint can that you can shake and spray your car in game with a new coat of paint using your little spray can with your Joy-Con popped into it. It's fucking. I I just I constantly marvel at, at what they've thought of here. Um, it is just I, I will never be able to describe the things you see in these these videos. So it's seven minutes of your time, and even if you never want to buy something like this, even if you have very nominal interest in these kind of. Um, build a game sort of games it's worth watching just for the sheer fucking madness and like the the just the sheer unbridled creativity that the people who made these must have it's it's awe-inspiring it's the thing with nintendo when they come into this cla uh, cash influx uh instead of like doubling down on hey this is what's working they just go fucking mad they just go yeah. absolutely mad and there's the, there's one here i'm just after seeing where you can like um use a, a flap that goes over the screen with your own buttons drawn onto it in marker on the little plastic sheet and then you can design custom controls that respond to your feedback by touching where your fake buttons are like that uh oh nintendo <laughs> Uh, Mark, moving on, because we could talk about Labo all day. Um, what What is your kind of past or, or experience with Bioware games? Um, 
likes Mass Effect and Dragon Age. Uh, I played about half of the original Bioware, and it was... Bioware? Dragon Age? Sorry, uh, Mass Effect. Uh, I played about half of the original Mass Effect, but I didn't really get on board with the combat. And then everyone was like, oh, but, you know, they refined that in 2 and 3. And then I never really got onto them, and I've never played Dragon Age. So Bioware, they're a company from afar that I appreciate, but they're not one that I've I've spent too much time with. Um, yeah. And I'm not sure Anthem will be something that I'll jump into. Yeah, so I was never, like, on board with Mass Effect or anything like that. It kind of passed me by. The peak of Mass Effect was kind of the during a, a time where I played games the least. Um, and Dragon Age, I played Dragon Age Inquisition, some of us, and quite enjoyed it, but then Witcher came along and that was the end of me. Um, but there's like, well, you know, Mark, as well as I do, that one of the things that people really love about Bioware games is your ability to kind of, uh, forge a romance. Yeah. Um, this is a very popular feature All in the games. All about space fucking. Yeah, where, like, in the, the Dragon Age games, it's more kind of, oh, like, you know, uh, meeting different species and forming a relationship and things like that. But, like, it's <laughs> in Mass Effect, as you say, it's very thinly veiled that they just want to get their fuck on. Um, So this was something well, that... Well, they do say people... that in space no one can hear you scream. Hey, here he is. Um, People were worried that with Anthem coming out and th- them saying, hey, look, Anthem doesn't have any of that that people were worried that Anthem was the start of them kind of moving away from that kind of uh, storytelling, that the romances, NPC companions, um, and no kind of like the, oh, what are they called? The renegade and, you know, you know the kind of like the, the, the duality mechanic of like, are you going to do the good path or the evil path? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't remember what the, the two ones are called in Mass Effect. Um, so... The, the speculation over this has caused Casey Hudson, who's uh, the head honcho over at BioWare, to come out and just kind of deny all this. Uh, he said that uh, some weird stuff going on about how our future games will be influenced by Anthem. Of course, when we do a Dragon Age game, it will be designed from the group based uh, from the ground up based on what Dragon Age should be. Same with Mass Effect. Anthem is a specific thing that's unique from our other IPs in many ways. What carries forward is what we learn about game design, which is a constant evolution. Uh, I suppose the headline here, apart from calming people down, that the next Mass or not Mass Effect, sorry, the next Dragon Age game will still have the romancing, the relationship, the companions, and things like that, uh, is the fact that contrary to what uh, a lot of people had started to believe, he seems to be insisting here that Mass Effect isn't dead in spite of their best efforts to put it under the ground with Mass Effect Andromeda. Yeah, I I mean, look, um, there's a lot of questions around Anthem, um, obviously, because it's not a game that... It's, it's two things. It's a Bioware game that doesn't look like a Bioware game, and it's a open-ended um, multiplayer loop based potentially uh game much in the same vein as a uh, division or uh overwatch or you know anything of that nature destiny and there is a lot of cynicism about that that you know ea are jumping onto this bandwagon because it's the thing that's making money right now but hey we still are some way out from knowing what this game is going to be and how it's going to play like and what 
content will be there um, because it's Bioware and so you can't know for sure until it comes out you know there could be a whole uh, solid kind of block of lore and space fucking and who knows what else probably not Um, but with this kind of thing I don't tend to pay too much attention because we're nowhere close to the game being out yet so it's just people getting worked up because people like to get worked up yeah uh, man, the, the fucking hassle that was on the internet the last couple of weeks over a fucking puddle. Oh, that fucking state of that. Yeah, I don't know. I'm still excited for that fucking Spider-Man game coming out this week. The reviews are doing nothing to uh, calm me down at all. Uh, I'm, I'm hype as fuck, my I mean, friend. If your issue is that the a puddle is not quite the same as it was, um, yeah, just fucking fuck off especially because the digital foundry report came out on it today and said not only was it not downgraded in fact it's been upgraded from the footage we saw (laughs) um anyway moving on uh nintendo switch we're getting another fucking nintendo direct tomorrow evening that's thursday evening uh 11 p.m uk time uh this isn't uh themed after one game so it won't be like all about this or that uh, insofar as we're aware uh, it's going to be 35 minutes long it's going to be nintendo 3ds and nintendo switch titles it's going to be interesting to see what they have on the lineup here mark because you would imagine that it's going to be a lot of third party and first party stuff when the nindies showcase was only about a week ago yeah i think i missed um i haven't watched the directs in a while i've, I've been having to catch up either through this uh when we talk about it on here um but upcoming 3ds titles i don't know i don't know i don't know what to make of that yeah they're still plowing away at that stuff apparently that WarioWare gold game was really good uh but it's a shame i will never ever play it yeah <laughs> because it's not on switch um fuck I, was there I'm, ass- I'm i'm assuming we're getting a little bit of mario party because that's coming out did really i soon. did i see something about they're doing a, a 3ds release of the original luigi's mansion I feel like uh, something I saw. Ooh, they they might well be. I don't I don't want to I don't want to say for sure because I don't know. You know what? Um, I'm about now. Um, a lot of people trying to get themselves hyped up that this is the Animal Crossing announcement. Uh, don't get too carried away with yourselves, guys. Um, yeah, that's just the quickest way to get let down. Yes, Luigi's Mansion remake comes to 3DS, so that will probably be in there. Cool. So that'll be in there. Uh, there might be another character reveal for Smash Brothers. We might get a... Do we have a date on Smash How many are we up to now? Like 85? Uh, it's a lot. Anyway, we're in the high 50s nearly, I would say. Is anyone from Nintendo that we're not... That isn't in the game at this point? Uh, I think one of the ones... He's not Nintendo, but one of the ones everybody's been saying like is an open goal if they can make the deal to put him in is Goku. Goku. <laughs> Um, what about you one from pikmin olimar yeah oh he's yeah he's been in it before yeah yeah um i'm pretty sure anyway i feel like all i've played as olimar in a game and i can't can't imagine no it wasn't pikmin (laughs) although i'll tell you what like predicting a pikmin game uh wouldn't be the the craziest thing in the world i don't don't think it'll be announced at this thing but i i like that game has got to be being made somewhere yeah pikmin on the switch seems like a thing that should happen yeah yeah damn right um and it came out a couple of years into the we use life cycle as well so it would seem oh, so like basically we'll get pikmin 3 on the switch yeah that's that's fine <laughs> <laughs> i 
I would care about that just as much as a new Pikmin game on the Switch, to be honest. Fair, pretty. fair. Um, yeah, so check that out. 35 minutes, there's a lot to put in there. Like, you're not going to... There's going to be a bunch of announcements or a really close look at something like a Mario Party. I don't think they're going to do another 25 minutes of here are the new things we put in Smash Brothers. You know what? I fucking wouldn't put it past them. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, check that out. 11 p.m. UK time on Thursday this week. Um, This is one you put across uh, in front of me, Mark, and that is the International Olympic Committee. yeah, this... has, they 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 put down the hammer on uh, the the possibility of esports in the Olympics. Well, Talk to me about this it. this whole discussion was going on. So the next Olympics are going to be in Tokyo. So you know, Japan, well known for its video games, um, and this is a discussion that's been going on for a number of years now about the legitimacy of um, esports and esport uh, competitors as actual athletes. Um, and so the International Olympic Committee President Thomas Bach believes that video games being played uh, still promote violence and killing too much to be included. Um, his official quote was, We cannot have in the Olympic program a game which is promoting violence or discrimination. Um, Bach told the Associated Press during the recent Asian Games, an event where esports were, for the first time, a feature, albeit as a demonstration sport only. Uh, he continues, So-called killer games, they, from our point of view, are conjured contradictory to the olympic values and cannot therefore be accepted now if you want to make the argument that um violent sports or sports such as boxing or um boxing would be the one (laughs) or anything you know like martial arts taekwondo um or uh, events that involve some sort of shooting like archery or you know uh it it you can make the argument there now obviously that is not the same as a game where you can actually kill someone but i do think that you can make the argument that well you know you're talking about this but boxing's pretty violent now obviously yeah uh, like there's amateur, there's amateur a... boxing in the olympics is not quite doesn't have quite the um violence as like you know a professional boxing match to, in terms of you know how the state of how the uh the athletes end up looking half the time but still, I think you can have the argument. Yeah, it's it, it seems like a thing where it's... You can sort of understand where they're coming from with, with games that are like um, esports involving, like, say, a, a an Overwatch or something like that where you're explicitly uh, shooting guns and things like that. You can kind of... It, it, to me, it's less the killer games as much as the... Uh, the, the optics, the visual of using actual guns, uh, even if they are shooting lasers most of the time as opposed to actual bullets. I can kind of get where they're coming from, that from a PR perspective, that's a bit of a fucking nightmare. Uh, whereas because boxing is so much, there's so much history to the sport that people don't really stop to think about, hey, this is probably not so great. Like, there's a lot more people in early graves because of boxing than there are video games. Um, but yeah, well, like, what are you going to do? Um, the, the way progress goes is that this, like several years from now, this will probably be revisited and like maybe esports gets in then, but it's not something that like, 
it would be far less of a ridiculous prospect to have esports in the Olympics than, for example, golf. Yeah, that's the the thing that always gets brought up as well. And I mean, yeah, where do you draw the line on um, yeah. what sports get included and what is considered, or what you can consider someone to be a legitimate athlete? Like, um, you know, do we have esports? Do we By the have... way, I exclusively brought up, brought up golf because I know as soon as he hears this, Jack is going to text me a furious <laughs> screen about how great golf is. Um, Bring it, ladies. Esports <laughs> or, uh, you know, darts. Would you consider um, darts to be, uh, or someone that plays darts to be a legitimate athlete? You know, there's a lot of holding your right hand up in the air, I guess. But the, the physical exertion, I don't know. I don't see it that much more than twiddling some your thumbsticks with some controllers. So, um I don't know. I mean, if it's included, if it's not included, it could certainly for, um, in terms of like additional events, like in terms of revenue that can be made. Like if you have a venue which just hosts like all the esports stuff, um, you know, that's a massive revenue driver for for Tokyo uh, and Japan. Um, so, like, if they think about it just from purely from the aspect of making money, I mean, yeah, there's a shit ton of money that could be made out of this. But uh, it, it, I don't know. If it put it like this, if this was to do with FIFA, uh, or then this would be no argument. They'd have already, you know, sold a hundred thousand tickets and yeah, uh, you know, had Budweiser slats over everything. But uh, <laughs> I guess because it's the Olympics, maybe they're trying to be a little bit more legitimate about this. Indeed. Uh, here's a weird one. So we talked before about how Netflix are doing a Witcher series, uh, and they cast their their Witcher Geralt of Rivia this week. And of all people, Mark Henry Cavill. Yeah. Um, now you know between the two of us, you are the uh, the Witcher expert here. So just, just about. Just about. Um, how do you feel about this? Do you feel this is is a, a role that is suitable, appropriate? I I don't like look. I'm willing to give the guy a chance because I don't think he's a bad actor by any stretch. But like, he doesn't have like because he's young and built like a brick shit house. He doesn't have the like. Gerald Rivia has this incredible like world weary i'm sick of fucking everything and i've seen fucking everything and nothing surprises me so i'm just gonna kill some monsters for money uh kind of world of you and i don't think he has that about him when when i look at Geralt, the 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 makeup of the character and i look at henry cavill i don't see how that connection has been made i'm 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 open to it. I, I'm I'm rooting for him because I think the guy got an awful battering for like having the gall to say yes to be Superman, which is such a poison chalice that like very few people's careers have ever recovered from being Superman. Even when they were good at being Superman, they didn't get to get out from under the shadow of Superman. So I hope he does well. He was fucking boss in the new Mission Impossible movie, so I'm 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 hopeful for him, but. To me, it should have been somebody, like, I don't know, like, Brian is constantly touting that it should have been Mads Mikkelsen, and to be honest, I, I'm a little biased in this, because I think Mads Mikkelsen should be in everything. I'll put it to you like this, if Cavill hadn't got it, somehow I could have seen it ended up being Jared Leto. Now, would you have been, uh, exactly, so. No. Um, um, like, a lot of people wanted Vigo Mortensen, but, like, 
I get that and he would have been great, but that is too similar to the character he spent the last 20 years trying to not be associated <laughs> with anymore. Like, much as he loves those films, I don't think he wants people yelling Aragorn at him every five minutes. So uh, give him his piece. But like like a Mads Mikkelsen or oh, there was a couple of other people that were... Uh, let me just Google this. Geralt casting ideas there was a few that were battered around that i was like oh yeah like that makes sense because you're looking for a guy who's like a little bit older um a little bit kind of rough around the edges like he's very curt and and gruff with people in it um now i suppose it depends like because henry cavill is so much younger uh, it depends at what point in Geralt's story they they pick up with they could do like a really version of him i, I guess but like i, I don't know I'll, I'll give it a shot but this didn't fill me with dread oh yeah that's the one that i thought was a really good idea and uh, nikolai coster waldo who plays uh, jamie lannister in game of thrones he would have been perfect uh but you know sadly here we are uh what can you do it's a show that, like, we'll see if it ever even sees the light of day because uh, I know there are a lot of properties I have uh, fond memories of that nearly got made and were nearly absolute disasters when they came out. Like, they were going to make a movie of uh, Neil Gaiman's Sandman comics and Joseph Gordon-Levitt was going to play uh, the Sandman, uh, Morpheus, in it. And that would have been hideous. I like Joseph um, Gordon-Levitt. Yeah, but, like, you're talking about he's playing the god of dreams who's older than fucking time and supposed to be really, like, gothic and weird. Uh, it, it wouldn't have worked. And they were also going to make a movie of Death, the High Cost of Living, and playing Death herself was going to be Megan Fox. <laughs> so I'm very glad that never got made. Right. Well, look, we all thought, or it was put out there, that Heath Ledger would be a terrible Joker, and that turned out all right, so you never know. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so yeah, Godspeed to him. I'll, I'll watch the show anyway. Um, I'm not going to make a judgment before it comes out. Be- best of luck to him, but it's not necessarily the decision I would have made. Mark, Binding of Isaac news. So, I feel like it's been done a couple of times, or said a couple of times before, that this will be the, the final DLC ever released for, uh, for the Binding of Isaac. And yet, here we are. And uh, it's been announced, uh, the Binding of Isaac: Repentance, and this is the uh, this is the third paid expansion for the Binding of Isaac, um, for Rebirth, sorry. And is according to Edward McMillan, it's uh, both pretty beefy and the final DLC for the game. Um, isn't the first time that Ed has said this, but apparently it's the case. Uh, we'll add a ton, a ton more content. Uh, apparently, it'll make you shit your butts. Uh, include new cutscenes, new story bits, as well as inevitably more poop. I haven't actually touched um, most of the expansions for The Binding of Isaac because it's it's hard to come back to that when you've spent so long and then um, you know, have to go back in with so much more content. So, yeah, um, curious that he's still doing this, but I mean, you know, people still playing it and people still buying it. So, and all the content, everything I hear uh, is. Uh, worthwhile so yeah fair enough yeah so are are you has this got you excited or have you got enough Binding of Isaac in your life um I I think I've had enough well I keep saying that I'm going to buy 
um, Binding of Isaac on the Switch. I haven't got around to it yet, but I because I had Binding of Isaac on the Vita, and so I think that my feel of having that game on a handheld console I got then. Um, like if Spelunky came out on the Switch, there's a good chance I probably wouldn't buy it because I spent so much time with it on other platforms. Spelunky 2, that's a different matter. Um, but I'm not sure. Um, I feel I feel like I, I, I got over, not got over, but I sunk about 200 hours into the Binding of Isaac. And, you know, I, I know people that have put like four figures worth of Binding of Isaac uh, time in. And um, not sure, not sure I could do that. So, but, you know, each more than willing to try. Mm, no. <laughs> Um, that's going to do it for the news this week. It's time now to move into the book club, the uh, the the big feature of Link to the Cast every week, where we talk about an important game from the past that you should try for the first time if you haven't before, and try again if it's been a while. This week was Mark's pick, and he has gone to uh, one of the better entries in a, uh, a, a a marmite of a game series, a mixed and bag of a series, mixed bag of a series. Uh, that game, my friends, is uh, Assassin's Creed Four Black Flag. Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag is an action-adventure video game developed by Ubisoft Montreal and published by Ubisoft. It is the sixth major installment in the Assassin's Creed series. Its historical time frame precedes that of Assassin's Creed 3 2012, though its modern-day se- uh, sequences succeed 3's own. Black Flag was first released uh, for the PS3 and Xbox 360 and Nintendo Wii U in October 2013, and a month later for PlayStation 4, Xbox One and Microsoft Windows. The plot is set in a fictional history of real-world events and follows the centuries-old struggle between the assassins who fight for peace for free will and the Templars who desire peace through control. The framing story is set in the 21st century and describes the player as an Abstergo agent. The main story is set in the 18th century Caribbean during the Golden Age of Piracy and follows notorious Welsh pirate Edward Kenway, grandfather and father of Assassin's Creed III protagonist and antagonist, that's not a name that I'm going to even bother pronouncing, and Haytham Kenway, respectively, who stumbles upon the Assassin-Templar conflict. The, inte- the attempted establishment of the Republic of Pirates' Utopia, free from either British or Spanish rule, is a significant plot element. Dave Ryan. Um, mm-hmm. So, Assassin's Creed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we have yet to really go on, on the book club side of things. It's not like mm. a series we've um, dived into yet. 
Um, and part of the reason for this is that I think there are only um, one and uh, nine tenths of good Assassin's Creed games that I've played. <laughs> and yeah, would be... I, I would stretch to maybe 2.5. Okay, so I like everything about Assassin's Creed 2 up until you have a punch-up with the Pope, and mm-hmm. then I'm just, I check out with that game. And yeah. then I love Assassin's Creed Black Flag. So I would also tack on to this last year's Assassin's Creed Origins. Okay, so um, I haven't played that yet. So I, 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 I think that's a that's a pretty damn good entry in the series and should have been a great sign that they need to take two years off every time. But here we are um, with Assassin's Creed Odyssey creeping up on us. Uh, yeah, we haven't talked about it in the book club. I, I have, as I alluded to on the show last week as we were wrapping up, I've talked about Assassin's Creed as a franchise on another podcast. Uh, when I was uh, so graciously invited to be a guest on the Staying In podcast with with our friends. Um, And we talked on that show about how, like, I'm not a huge advocate for the series uh, in general. I think, like, minute to minute, for the most part, those games, like, taken as a whole, before we get into the the better uh, entries in the series, taken as a whole, I think they're perfectly adequate um open world kind of sandboxy uh assassination games i i I don't think there's any one thing that they do particularly like there's nothing i can really point at and go assassin's creed is the best at doing this you know what i mean yeah um it does a lot of things reasonably capably sometimes it does a lot of things hideously wrong um, I suppose one of the things it pioneered as a series that has gone on to actually be used better elsewhere is the the speed at which you're able to traverse the world by like kind of jumping on ledges and, and climbing and things like that. I think that the smooth system by which you do that was uh, pretty great at the time. Um, but I've seen gone on to be kind of... Um, either more simplified uh, or kind of more refined in in games like uh, the original uh, Middle-Earth Shadow of War uh, or Shadow of Mordor, uh, to name just one. Um, But yeah, as a a guy who is by qualification a historian, uh, I have always had a keen interest in the idea of alternative history and how faithfully these games kind of weave in and out of genuine events and then also try to play with characters from that world they can't just leave well enough alone and say hey look you're in the world when this stuff is happening you have to have weird moments like how in assassin's creed syndicate you end up meeting sir arthur conan doyle um and i think queen victoria is implied to be a templar in that game um stuff like that uh happens a lot i think there's interactions with cleopatra deep into the game in assassin's creed origins um but one thing i've always appreciated about them uh, better or worse is that they are great at replicating the feel of a time period if not the the actual fact for fact recreation of things that happened and i think as a form of virtual tourism the games are great at building a world Uh, with the exception of Assassin's Creed Unity, which was such a fucking missed opportunity because I love the French Revolution. Um, 
but usually walking around in those worlds feels very rich and inhabited and, and authentic. Um, I, I didn't play early entries in the franchise. Uh, Black Flag was probably the first one I played, uh, and I didn't play like start to finish or anything like that. But played a bit of. Um, I, are you? What? Here's the thing that we before we get even like just completely focus on Black Flag. Is it just me, or is the the kind of the shall we say the meta game of the Assassin's Creed franchise the single most off-putting fucking thing about it? It's absolute bollocks, and in the, Venice, all the Abstergo stuff, it, it's just as much bollocks in in Black Flag as well. Um, so Black Flag is the first time where um, they kind of change uh, the story a bit, and they go with the first-person setting, and you're now this kind of mute protagonist. Um, and it's it's the parts of this is the, the the one issue with Black Flag that I have is that it feels for the first time where they have these characters um, within the uh, the setting in in the uh, Caribbean where they can really just have some fun and really just kind of let loose um, because of the nature of the setting and just the characters that are at hand. Yet that lack of um, self-awareness or the ability to just kind of let go and, and just have some fun with it they still can't quite do that with the uh, the modern day setting that they go with and it's some real hokey uh kind of 90s 2000s sci-fi shit like a film that should have um who's your man was in the total recall remake phone booth uh, Colin Farrell. Uh, Colin Farrell. Yeah, like it, it. A lot of that feels like a bad sci-fi film that he'd be in. Um, that would go direct to DVD or something. And yeah, that's always been trash. Um, I don't know what it's like in like how was it in Origins last year? Sorry, say that again. You, As, you broke up a little. Bit. How, how was all of that in Origins last year? Uh, I didn't get deep enough in the game to see how all that bollocks is going, but uh, from what I understand, um, it it's as the series has gone on and pretty much black flag was the start of it it's gotten less and less uh as the games have gone on uh focused on the what i can only call uh rife bollockery uh, <laughs> of, the, of the kind of the 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 simulation aspect the the abstergo stuff um i think they kind of put that to bed as a huge pillar of the game uh, with the 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 move to Black Flag, the move to this generation, stuff is still there, from my understanding. But um, yeah, it's it's less and less as things have gone on. So, Assassin's Creed Three uh, was where I really jumped off, um, and you know they brought me back for Black Flag. But Assassin's Creed Assassin's Creed Three um, just had like just fucking dreadful pacing, awful boring mission design um and just was a real slog to get through at points um but it did introduce uh, naval combat uh, which would mm. obviously become a, a core component of black flag and i wonder if they you know saw how what they had there and thought fuck it let's just go with pirates because you know we can really expand on this yeah um what i like about black flag is that it's very much like another game that we've discussed on the book club uh, before, which is Legend of Zelda Wind Waker, in mm. that you just have this big open world and you just 
can kind of go off and do your own thing. And more so than um, Wind Waker, um, the, the main campaign of Black Flag is not like the real kind of selling point of it. The real joy of Black Flag is just the, the level of exploration and just, we've kind of discussed before about certain games like a Minecraft where you make your own objectives and your own goals. Obviously it's not to that degree because there are fixed goals and things to do. But the, the the exploration for you to go and explore and find these side quests, you know, it's a real, uh, all of the side quests are infinitely more interesting because they flesh out all these kind of different um, characters and all these kind of mini scenarios. Um, and uh, Kenway's interaction with them and how he plays off of them, because I really like the character of Kenway. He reminds me a lot of, you know, obviously we, come, we were coming off of the, the back end of... Um, the Pirates of the Caribbean, um, and so there's a lot of that kind of influence. But there's also quite a bit of uh, Chris Hemsworth's uh, Thor in there to a certain degree. Um, I don't okay, know. I, 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 I'll give you that. There's just the thing about his characteristics. There's a little bit in there. It's a little bit theatrical, mm. um, and obviously, just kind of physically, there's a little bit similarities as well. Um, so yeah they were kind of coming off of the influence of Pirates of the Caribbean and I think that kind of shows a lot in the game as well um, but yeah just you know the the level of exploration the world that there is to explore um, it I don't know if there was ever any kind of um, intent to take elements of the Wind Waker or if that was an influence at all but mm. um, you know there are well, very few games that are like that so it's hard not to make a yeah. comparison I think as well the move because this does mark the the first uh, Assassin's Creed game built for the ground up for the new generation. Um, it came out in it it came out at launch with PlayStation Four and Xbox One, did it not? Uh, yeah, it was very much. It was either at launch or it was very much like there at the time. Launch launch window, I think, yeah. is the the official the official term. Um, so I think the the as you say that the things that really made it stand out to that point in the series the the additional depth and interest given to side quests and the the interest of world traversal. I wonder if a lot of that is down to we're on a machine now with a hell of a lot more horsepower than we're used to designing these games for. Let's just fucking see how much we can stuff into this thing. Um, yeah, I think, well, I think it's a combination of that. Uh, but there's also the fact that, like, Assassin's Creed 3 um, had very, very heavily scripted missions. Um, and as a result, there really just isn't, there wasn't that much for the player to explore um, until, like, well into the first act. And, like, with a game like Assassin's Creed, like, a whole 95% of what you want to do in that game is just run around and fuck around, you know? It's, it's yeah. Grand Theft Auto, but with free running and parkour basically um and they realized that because black flag like pretty much from the get-go just nope just f go here here's the world and go and i like that it, it gives us it gives that straight yeah. away yeah absolutely i i think in some ways it probably um started off a trend with um, it was around this time that like it felt like every big game coming out was a big fucking sandbox game that was just going, here you fucking go. Um, so much as it, this game was refreshing, I think maybe the trend it was a part of got a bit tedious at the end where like I started 
did you get this like a burnout around the end of 2014 start 2015 where it's like no please tell me what to do yeah <laughs> like I, I i miss instruction to a certain like we get that you can do all these wonderful things now uh but please like put some restrictions or or kind of make don't just throw the whole sandbox at me and to be fair to black flag i will say it wasn't just that yes certainly they were giving you the keys to the kingdom fairly early on in the game and going have fucking fun but as you said uh there a couple of minutes ago because they made those side quests much more interesting than your like much as i love the grand theft auto series mark a lot the vast majority of side quests in that game are just variations on a theme and it's it's one of the big big setbacks to any open world game is the idea that side questing is so fucking tedious it's why i love the 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 witcher 3 so much is because an actual significant amount of effort went into writing what felt like every single side quest in that game and this was one that even if there were some side quests or some missions that felt a bit rote felt a bit like i've i've seen this kind of thing before because of like the the inherent easy playability of the Assassin's Creed series and the addition of this ship combat, which was such a, a big hit, um, I think it kept you wanting to play. People didn't seem to be getting bored of this like they do of a lot of uh, open world games. Yeah, and definitely, um, it's like again. I think back to the uh, the boat combat in um wind waker which was really just there was nothing there um but like the the moments where you're on the the ships and you have the the combat between two boats like it's really there's a real energy to it um that kind of makes me want to go back and play it again because it's been you know a long time since i've played uh black flag but you know you really get like the whole reason that you play a video game is you want to get lost in a moment um, and the moments in that area where you have that naval combat, uh, it's it, and you're on, on the open sea. Like it's really, truly uh, a thrilling experience to to be a part of. And one of the things as well, having gone back and um, watching footage again, even though that was one of the first games to come out on the PS4, that game is still, and this is like five years ago now. That game is still. A very good-looking game. Mm. It absolutely is. Um, it, it's one that I think more so than a couple of the games that we thought, like Watch Dogs, that would come out like a couple of months later, that we thought was going to be the the game that really showcased the technical powerhouse of the PS4. I think this went relatively unheralded as the game that probably did that the best. Um, like of the launch window games, this was probably the one where you sat back and went, "Man, there's some fucking horsepower under the hood of this thing." It's all about an ocean. If you get a good looking ocean, the rest of it just, yeah, you know, water and Triple H's hair—the benchmarks <laughs> for for graphics in video games. Um, so yeah, as mentioned, like the the modern stage, like with the the modern day um part of the plot, like they go very meta. Because uh, there's this evil video game studio uh, run by Abstergo, and you know they're mm. based in Montreal. And Black Flag, Black Flags uh, developer is Ubisoft Montreal. So it's just it they go a little bit too meta and a little bit too cute with it, and it's 
um, yeah, kind of as you said earlier, like just that whole part of these games. I I I can't imagine there are many people that when they played Assassin's Creed for the first time and were just thinking that they were playing this Assassin Simulator, didn't realize that they actually literally were playing an Assassin Simulator. Um, mm. It's it's always been the thing that I just. I just wish that first game they'd never... Like, I can see why they went with it, and it does allow at least a somewhat logical consistency to why, you know, this is an Assassin's Creed game, this is also an Assassin's Creed game, even though they take place in two entirely different settings. There's this threadbare concept that allows them to kind of stay within the same name, I guess. Um, But it's that and that alone, and I don't know, like... Final Fantasy games have completely different settings and they're called Final Fantasy. You could have just done that with Assassin's Creed as well. Mm. Um, <laughs> here's a funny thing. Uh, just when we talk about how like the innovative thing that was going on in this game was the ship combat. Um, they really took that concept and ran with it and just went, hey, we can't do a Black Flag 2, but how about we just take a game that's like just ship combat? Do you remember this presentation? No, I don't actually. So E3 two years ago, uh, Ubisoft unveiled this very black flag looking game called Skull and Bones. Oh, right. Yes. Um, That they basically then went on. It was so fucking tedious because it's like it's great that they had footage and they wanted to show us this game. But it went on so long and I think they showed the trailer at the start and at the end of the presentation. So it was just ugh. But yeah, it seems like what they've done is they've just taken the ship combat, they've taken it out, they've given it to, I think it's Ubisoft Singapore, and just developed a whole online game around that. Now, as a man who really enjoyed Black Flag, is that something that would interest you, or or how do you feel about Well, no, because I don't idea... want to play with other people. Well, yes, this is true. <laughs> this is true. The, but do you think that would put it this way like uh, if you're to look at it objectively do you think that would lend itself to a pretty decent online experience oh, in a way that what was that uh sea of thieves was, was kind of going for yeah, a similar um, thing i had a few people at work that were playing a lot of sea of thieves but yeah like as mechanically and that that thrill of of naval combat it's absolutely something that i could see working in an online multiplayer combat kind of type uh, environment um and then it'll just turn out to be you know a, a PUBG fortnite clone no doubt but yeah uh, the, everything's there in place that if it works and uh, you know mechanically it's all fine-tuned and you know the netcode is good then sure uh, i see no reason why that that isn't something that that part of black flag the naval combat couldn't work um adapted into uh, an, an online uh, action game so yeah i you know i was not something i'd actually considered before when uh skull and bones was originally announced this is mark here back with a link to the cast um we had a couple of technical difficulties uh which meant that we had to stop uh the episode short unfortunately um but we were wrapping up we we were coming to the end so uh, my elevator pitch for Assassin's Creed Black Flag. Uh, if you've never played an Assassin's Creed game before, I think it's a great place to jump in. Um, though I do think that uh, if you then go back to any of the original trilogy, uh, it'll probably be quite jarring in com- in comparison. 
because uh, Black Flag is a lot more of a kind of open world, a lot more free to explore. Um, but it's setting in the 18th century in the Caribbean seas. Uh, it just has a real sense of that kind of swashbuckling adventure um, that you'd expect out of a game based in uh, you know a pirate type setting. So yeah, give it a look. Uh, Dave Ryan was more than eager to inform me that next week we will be talking about Spider-Man 2 for the PS2, GameCube and Xbox. So look out for that. Uh, I'm sure he's excited because the new Spider-Man game releases this week. So um, he'll probably be talking about the new Spider-Man game as well next week. Um, That just leaves me to do the wrap-up. This podcast is available on SoundCloud iTunes and most podcast platforms just search link to the cast give us a subscribe, a rating, a review it all helps the website is linktothecast.eu and if you want to get in touch you can drop us an email at linktothecast at gmail.com social media is facebook.com forward slash linktothecast and we are on twitter at linktothecast uh, I am Mark Robinson you can follow me on twitter at Lithium Project. Uh, Dave Ryan is on at the Dave Today. Uh, if games aren't your only interest, we have a couple of other shows that you might be interested in that are all available as part of the Link to the Cast feed. Uh, we have The Grap Up, which is a once in every while pro wrestling podcast that generally includes some form of myself, Dave, and then friends of the show, Jack Lazell, and the Chair Shop Podcast's own Barry Murphy. Um, our most recent show, which would have been a while ago now, was a wrap up of WrestleMania. Um, but I imagine we should, yeah, we'll hopefully be getting together soon to talk some more wrestling, because it's been a while. Uh, and then we also have the Popcorn Social, which is a monthly deep dive into the latest cinema cinematic offerings from Jack Lazell and Dave Ryan. Um, I can't remember if the last show was the one that they did uh, in regards to talking about Pacific Rim Uprising, uh, Game Night, Red Sparrow, Isle of Dogs, The Square, and uh, a couple of others. But... Give it a listen, because they know their films, and it's a good time. Um, apologies for the impromptu end to the show this week. Um, hopefully next week we can get back to something that's a little bit more regular with an actual ending. Um, but thank you very much for listening. This has been episode 122 of A Link to the Cast, and uh, we will see you again next week. <laughs>